Hello, welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I apologize, it's been a long time since we recorded an episode. I've been trying to find new guests, but I've been super busy at the same time. Luckily, I had a guest reach out to me, so that makes my life easier. I don't need to <laughs> try to schedule with people. It's great to have on Dr. Lindholt, Lightholt? Why don't you go ahead? Lidholt. Lidholt, that's good, yeah, yeah. I always call you Victor, so I don't really, you know, remember the last name all the time, but uh, he's the creator of ServerPod, he used to work at Google for a short while, uh, or quite a few years now. Just a year at the Flutter team. I feel like once you start with Flutter, you can't get away from it. Like Matt Carroll, I think even yeah. the PM that left the Apple recently, I forgot his name now, I think he's even still dabbling a little bit with Flutter too. So even no matter if you're working at another place that's in a similar space, you still can't get away from it, right? Hixie is he also left on a sad note, but he's still committing code. I thought that was a Reddit post recently. So it's great that, you know, Flutter is just so addictive or is that bad? I don't know. Is that good or bad? What do you think? I think probably good for the community, right? <laughs> but, but yeah, you're right. I think it's a pretty sticky product since it's, yeah, both like a whole community around it and uh, yeah, it really makes your life so much easier as a developer. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people who left the Flutter team work with Flutter in some way or another. Yeah, they just um, can't give it up, you know. Even uh, Matt Carroll, he started off as Android, I believe, and then he went on to doing more and more Flutter, which is quite interesting. But I find that for a lot of Android developers, they once they start with Flutter, it's like, oh, please, thank you. It's so much easier. The very first native apps I wrote, I wrote iOS first, and then I wrote the Android version, and I found I had an extra two classes I had to write for the same exact app. I wrote, basically wrote verbatim the same thing in terms of yeah. the amount of classes. And it's like, because I had to write a separate class just to do like the sorting or something, it was very odd. I don't know if I've ever made Android apps before, like directly with native SDK or not. So, I mean, I have done a little bit of Android, but uh, I have pretty limited experience. But my feeling is like, there were so many versions of everything. It was impossible to know what to use and trying to figure out how everything would fit together. And then they just updated everything to Android X and had to like redo everything and it was like a couple of years in between every time I went to Android and every time it was like completely different I felt like to be fair like at least in early days of Flutter been quite a few changes right so you still it was a little bit of a challenge to keep up to date if you will well I think the challenge but, nowadays uh, is just keeping up on material right we still have quite a bit of ways to go but we're still making headways every single release for Flutter right I just want to point right. out so we do do this live stream for anybody who's listening at home and we have somebody, uh, Rodney Jordan has uh, just said that ServerPod's awesome, really enjoying the best backend for Flutter. All right, thank you. That <laughs> makes me very, very happy to hear. I kind of built the backend that I wanted myself and that I felt like I was missing. So I'm glad other people feel the same way, especially with all the effort we put into ServerPod, obviously. We, we always do like a quick introduction. I mean, people should yeah. know who you are if they've been listening to the show. Yeah, why don't you do a quick introduction? I'm Victor. As mentioned before, I did work a year at the Flutter team when I lived in Silicon Valley at, uh, and worked for Google. Since then, I moved back to Sweden, live in Stockholm now, and um, I ran a startup here for a couple of years. Obviously, I built our app in Flutter, but I really felt like I was missing a good backend for it written in Dart because it's such a huge advantage to have the same computer language across the whole stack. So, so when that startup failed, I figured I wanted to give the startups uh, like another chance. And I 
wanted to use all the knowledge that I'd gained and all the contacts I got to make something truly awesome. So that's sort of where the idea for a server pod was born. And uh, I took um, probably the first couple of six uh, nine months uh, to build the first version. And then I got the first client on board and I built their app on Serverpod. So I really got the chance to try it out. And uh, now we raised the first uh, pre-seed round and we are now four people working full-time on Saturday. So I moved more into a sort of a role where I promote Serverpod and get the chance to talk with a lot of developers and also have sort of an overview of the whole project. But we have three super awesome developers working with us. So we're moving forward so much faster now. So you're kind of like DevRel now, right? You're the boss, but yeah. you're also kind of out there showing people how to use it and why they should use it, right? Yeah, so we were initially looking to find someone to fill like a DevRel role, but um, it was like the hardest position to fill, I guess, because you need someone who really are into the community and everything. So I figured... And that's you, right? Yeah, yeah that's you already. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I, I when I started, I obviously do a bit of that. You have to do everything yourself when you start a company. But now I have two great co-founders that are really, you know, into the development side. They're also obviously interested in everything and you get to meet them. We made a, for our latest release, a little video. So they explain the parts that they've been working on. So it's really cool. But it's um, quite a Big difference being like a whole team working on a project versus being just a single person. Are you like the BDFL? So in Python community, we, we had for the longest time, there was uh, BDFL, which is short for Benevolent Dictator for Life. Basically, the creator oh, of Python okay. was the, the boss and he would choose this comes in or this not. Like he always had the final say. Are, do you take that role or is there actually some type of committee that says, okay, let's vote? Or, or is there somebody else who's taking that role and you're, like you said, you're doing other things that maybe are more suitable for you? It's only been like a few times where we disagreed on some of the stuff and we took a vote on it, basically. <laughs> so when there are three, I have two founders, when there are three of us, that will work. There will always be a deciding vote, unless I guess the three of us have different thoughts. So I think that's the approach we will kind of take. In a sense, I guess I have the final say, but um, we really try to work it out and see each other's inputs. I would like to hear that because I think last time we talked to you, you were still by yourself, right? Yeah, you're probably right. So, um, yeah, we came a long way. It must have been uh, like early last year we spoke. At that time, we had quite recently released our first or like maybe 1.1 version of ServerPod. And um, we brought on two co-founders and uh, we have a girl working more on the documentation side of ServerPod. So we're really excited to get a lot of more tutorials out and making it easier to learn ServerPod, basically. But um, since then, we released ServerPod 1.2 just a few weeks ago. And that version is actually, maybe that should have been a 2.0 because there's so much new stuff in there, but we made everything backwards compatible. So we called it a 1.2. But uh, there's more work that's gone into the 1.2 than like 1.1 and 1.0 together. So it's really a huge release. And we built out the whole test suite for server pods. So we now have over 2000 tests. So basically the test coverage is a lot better. And um, we added a couple of 
really big improvements to ServerPod. And the biggest or the one that's taking the most time is our ORM, which is like the connection to the database. What we built there is a type-safe ORM that has support for uh, relations. So basically that allows you to connect different database tables in an easy way. And you can still use type safety and null safety in there. And you can work with lists and one-to-one relations, one-to-many, many-to-many. Everything just works. And we also added database migrations. So that allows you to basically automate the process of updating your database schema. When you work with the relation database, it's a little bit like working with an Excel spreadsheet. A single database table is like a spreadsheet, but you can also connect these spreadsheets together uh, in, uh, in pretty smart ways. So that's something we have also improved. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm just taking a look at the notes, right? So I saw this notes on Medium by Akensha Jane. Is that how you say it? Yeah. So I'm guessing she must be one of your employees, right? Right. So this release is called Cyberpunk. Any relation to the video game or this is just happens to be? So we are doing art styles. Our first one or two release was Art Nouveau. And then we had Blueprint for B and Cyberpunk okay. for C. So oh, we still need to okay. figure out what the next one will be. We make a little bit of you know, stickers and swag and pins that you will send to anyone who contributes to release. So we'll have a bunch of collectible stuff. We're building also a sort of a little achievement system for GitHub. uh, So you can earn badges, but we'll also send these badges in real life if you fill in our contributors form. So so we really want to build something with the community and make it a little bit fun. Yeah, I saw you define a lot of the relations using YAML, right? So does that YAML right. like compile some code in the backend when it's compiling? So yes, we built the whole um, relations and like the whole model files. You define them in YAML files, and it's uh, we sort of made an extension to the YAML formats where you can add a little bit more information. So you basically define your class names, your table name in there, and then we generate all the Dart files for it. And the benefit of using YAML is that um, it's very compact and very clear what you write. And uh, we can generate a little bit different code on the client versus the server. For instance, there can be fields that you don't want to expose to the client, or there can be, for instance, you don't want to expose any of the database bindings in your app. Those should be secrets to the server. And also doesn't even make sense to have them there. So that's something uh, one of the reasons we use that. It's possible that we'll also add support for um, annotations, especially with the macros coming soon to Dart. We're really excited about that. I think that'll be a really, really cool feature. But for those YAML files, something we added in version 1.2 of ServerPod is we also built the VS Code plugin. So you get great support there. It will actually validate the files as you type. Just like you have the analyzer in Dart, we built a similar analyzer for VS Code, or it's actually um, LSP server. I think it's language server protocol, maybe. Yeah. So basically, if yeah. you use that, then you can basically do it for any like language. Exactly. So we really made it the right way and make sure it works. But we built a plugin for VS Code as seems like the mostly used editor. So the experience when you're working with that is really a few steps up. You get the feedback. You can continuously generate the code 
with we have like a watch flag so then you just type and all your code gets updated in real time basically so it's a, it's a very smooth experience working with that and there could be other ways to do it with annotations and and that so we'll probably have a look at that for maybe there will be server pod version two or three who knows something we want to do in the future this is the initial trial right do you think this one works well so far yeah i mean it works great um, okay and it's very clean code. And then you can still extend the generated classes with Dart extensions. So you can add new methods to them. Okay. Just want to start adding in some more comments, though. So another fan, just want to make sure you see these because it definitely <laughs> gives you a smile to your face, right? Yeah. So indeed one of the best backend for Flutter. Need more in-depth video tutorials if possible. Yeah. I do know that you were looking at adding more tutorial yeah. videos, right? Somewhere. Definitely. So that's what Akansha is doing. So I gave a talk at Flutticon last summer in Berlin. And um, I don't know if you have given any tech talks for Flutter or for any other. A little bit. This is a very small one. Yeah. Yeah. But it's always a pain to make the slides with code. I don't know if you experienced this, if you copy paste stuff into Keynote or into Google Slides or whatever. Wait a minute, have you seen, there's a package where you can create Keynotes or PowerPoints with Flutter. Have you seen that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I made it. You used that one or you made your own, you're saying? So I made it my own. It's called Slick Slides. So it's specifically made for making code basically and i had to build a new syntax highlighter that uses the same templates and styles as vs code so your code mm -hmm. will look identical to what it looks like in vs code with like the colors and everything and then you can even like animate the code so if you have like one little code piece and you add in another little bit of it it will actually type it in so, so you can make pretty smooth animations is that open source? We can see that. Yeah, yeah. Slick Slides is the name of the package on PubDev. So we're using that to build a whole suite of video tutorials. I also made them so you can actually play the back and you can add audio to each slide. So we'll play the, make a sort of a automated video, if you will. So we're turning all of the tutorials we're building with this and then Obviously, it's open source, so you can just get the slides. If you want to give a serverable presentation, if you're on a meetup or something, you'll be able to just build your own presentation from our slides or add in stuff of your own, but you will get a really nice base. That's our thinking for the documentation. And we can also turn those into videos pretty easy, either with you know someone actually reading the script or working through them or with a automated voice. I know automated voices are not... Super great, but I mean, there's some really good ones now. So it's almost hard to hear if done with an automated voice or not. But it, I mean, it's also a little bit more engaging to have a real person there, I think. Yeah. Have you ever seen Flutter Deck before? That plugin? Yes. I did check the other ones, but uh, I felt like they were not really good enough for what we wanted to do. So that's why I built my own. Also, I think I started building it before Flutter Deck came up. Maybe they have done some improvements since then. Yeah, I know he's been doing some improvements. I asked him to present yeah. uh, locally to the Hong Kong meetup group we have for Flutter, and uh, he did quite a bit of improvements. And then we were checking it out. We were kind of doing like a mini hackathon on unofficial, and then like we sent some bugs his way, and he corrected them and made it a little bit better. So it was, it was yeah. kind of a win-win for everybody.
Yeah, I think he took some code from uh, my stuff because one of the things I did to make sure the slides are always the same size, right? Or like mm -hmm. you would expect the slide to sort of scale up rather yeah. than, you know, a Flutter app usually sort of expands. But you will sort of want to work in a fixed coordinate system on the slide. Yeah, I haven't played with it yet, but that's something I'm thinking uh, to do. Uh, I want to share an, yeah. another comment for you, Mike Rydstrom, if you remember him, he's oh yeah, saying it's good to catch it live for the <laughs> podcast, but uh, looking to try out ServerPod 2, right? 1.2, sorry. Yeah, that's awesome. I see him on, a lot on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I've asked him to come on a few times, so maybe maybe everybody can pressure him to come on sometime. It would be good to, to hear yeah. from him, because I know he's doing a lot of interesting stuff with Flutter. Oh yeah, definitely. I watched a few of his talks also. I think he gave one for Flutter and Friends in Stockholm. Mike, yeah. if you hear that, you, you got to come on sometime. Invitation always open, just reach out. Anyways, coming back to ServerPod, right? Isn't there download numbers on pub.dev or no? There should be, right? 454 likes, it's still not bad. Just for the ServerPod itself. I don't see download numbers though. Yeah, I, I don't think you can see the number of installs, but uh, we can. We have at least... Um, 5,000 developers who tried out ServerPod. 5,000 unique developers tried it out? Yeah. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, there are around 500 apps being built today with ServerPod. So it's definitely, we've got some pretty high profile ones as well. There is uh, a company in UK who built a tool for surgeons to take notes during operations. So that's an example where you, for instance, cannot use Firebase because of regulations. You need to, it's very strict how you store the data and all that stuff. And with ServerPod, you have control of all that and you can deploy it, you know, anywhere in a safe way. You can run it obviously on AWS or Google Cloud, but you can also deploy it in your basement if you need to. Um, so I think that's a huge benefit of ServerPod. And especially in Europe with GDPR and owning your data is um, a really big thing. But yeah, we get quite a bit of, of traction already. Uh, and we haven't really started marketing it. It's just me being on a few podcasts and conferences. So that's something we are starting to do more now when we got a product that is way more refined. And really 1.2 is, you know, perhaps sort of 1.0 should have been. It's really feature complete when it comes to the database connections with our ORM. We're really up to par now with other modern backend frameworks. We have been taking it a long way. We've just started working with ServerPod 2. That will be probably three months from now or something like that. So 2.0, you're doing semantic versioning, right? So that means that there's basically no yeah. backwards compatibility guaranteed. I mean, out of the box, it will not be backwards compatible but uh, there will be an upgrade path, right? Okay. So we're making sure it's possible to upgrade to to the toe. But we, we're removing some of the APIs and changing a little bit of stuff around that we may have wanted to do for 1.2, but we sort of left the old stuff in there still to make sure there's like a smooth upgrade path. Well, now that you're kind of talking about this stuff, Mike asked another question about macros. How do you see they'll be able to improve the server pod developer experience? Where do you plan to use them first? I think I've been hearing about macros in Dart 3 for a long time, but it's not really still yet, right? 
Yeah, I'm not sure the exact timeline they have there, but we were looking at one case there where I think macros could work really, really well. And um, one thing we're building for ServerPod 2 is something we call ServerPod Mini. So what you get with ServerPod today is, um, I mean, it's like a whole complete system, right? You can't run ServerPod today without the database. You need to connect it to um, Postgres. And that gives you a lot of benefits because we can do really great logging. We can do something we call future calls. We call a method sometime in the future, and we need to serialize that to the database. We can do health checks on your server while it's running. There's like a lot of that built-in functionality that we can do thanks to having the database. But sometimes you just want something that is super easy to get started with and try out. It's a little bit of an effort to set up your database. Although we made it like super simple. You need to have Docker installed and you then you just do server pod create and it will create everything for you. It's like literally an extra line to set it up. So I don't think it's too much of an effort, but for simply use case where you may want to use another database or something like that, we're doing a server pod mini version. And... Uh, that will be sort of a bare bones server pod. And something we could do with macros that we can't do today is uh, really uh, changing the interface of server pod. So now you still have access to the methods for the database. It's hard to hide them in the mini if you want to use the same code. And we make the mini so it's upgradable to like the full server pod with a basically create command. You do a server pod create and I don't know exactly what that command will look like yet, but that will can upgrade your project if you're on the mini to the full version. But with macros, we could conditionally add methods, for instance, for accessing the database or accessing offline caching and stuff like that. So I think that would be a really cool use case of macros. We, we thought of having basically two classes. You have like the ServerPod Mini, which is a subclass of maybe ServerPod Base class and then having a ServerPod full version. The problem there is uh, when you upgrade, you will need to change it in a lot of places or maybe you will need to have different imports. So it would be nice to be able to you know, do that with macros. I think that could be a cool use case. Another obvious uh, use is for serialization, but we have also built our whole serialization system now that is pretty much automated. So I think maybe we'll move there, but it's not the top priority for us. Do you have any opinions about macros? I heard there's one community that always says, you know, what was it? There's like three rules about macros. It's like, don't write macros, don't write macros, don't write macros. Because sometimes they can get a little bit unruly, right? I think uh, it depends a lot on how they work, right? So it looks like, uh, how are they doing in the dark? looks like a really smart approach. If you compare to how it's done in like C, where you can pretty much redefine the language, then you have no idea. You import a file and like the semantics of your whole file can change. And that may not be a great approach, I think. If you look at all languages after C and C++, they have sort of removed that aspect of the computer language with a pre-compiler with macros. So I think probably smarter to do it the way Dart does it. And if it's done right, it can be really good. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, does this mean that maybe there'd be a special DSL for ServerPod in the future then, if we have macros? 
like a DSL or like a domain specific language, right? Like a, like a server pod language where you'd have your own style of writing things. I mean, I know usually that's what happens in my opinion. If you start having macros, people start to kind of make their own DSLs for their own frameworks. It's a little bit more limited what you can do with a dark macros. To be fair, I haven't really digged deep down into to it yet, but from what I saw in that like initial look, it looks like you are basically, it's a way to extend your classes. You do it with annotations. So you add an annotation to a class and then you sort of run a sort of pre-compiler where you can add methods to that class. You can't, for instance, remove methods. You can add in like a to JSON, for instance, based on what's in your class. And that would be really smooth experience because then you just need to add like a, an annotation to the class and the rest of it will just work. And I assume that this little program that generates the code will run anytime that you change the code. So it's sort of seamless. So you have the annotation and then you have access to the to JSON method, for instance. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to take a look at it. I haven't looked at the macro parts, but I know that people have been talking about it for a long time. And um, from the example that I'm looking at right now, it seems like this would be something that like Freeze would really want to use. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think Freeze today, I mean, it's uh, it's great that they have it in there, but it's the way you write it, it's not that pretty. Yeah, well, the, having the build runner is like the most painful part, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's the reason we didn't use it for Serverpod. We wrote our own tool. It just feels a little bit cleaner and we can make the code look a little bit nicer with freeze you have to it's both that like import and then you need to write like specific names that doesn't quite exist right until you generate yeah. them and yeah the news parts feels, and stuff i think that was the first time i've ever seen the keyword part i was like what the heck is a part like because you know when you start uh, writing oh, yeah. flutter you don't have to actually learn the whole language i mean the whole language itself there's a lot small things in it that people don't really pay attention to right like part is something yeah. that's like well do i really need that yeah, generally, I think you should avoid part of, and I think that's what the guidelines says too. But but you will need it for stuff like that to access yeah. uh, private methods, I guess, or private uh, entities in another it's file. Been a long time it, since I've seen it, but yeah. yeah, it's a lot of weirdness to it. Yeah, uh, I haven't touched Flutter in a while, so that's also a reason why I'm a little bit out of uh, what's going on. But it's good to kind of hear what's going on from your side. I think we keep trying to get into like about hiring people, right? So you said you have four people yeah. now. I think just recently I've seen you asking for developers, but I didn't see before. Were you just poaching people like that were in the community that were like actively building interesting things and asking them to come join or committers? Or what was your initial process for finding the right people? So uh, my process was uh, basically pulling all strings that I have. So for the core team, I really wanted them to be local so we can sit together in our office here. It's just really nice to you know have workmates that are not remote. And I think that's um, really important. Now it's possible for us when we have like the core team down uh, to hire a few remote too, but um, it makes quite a big difference. So uh, I found them through contacts or through LinkedIn. So I basically, I have a friend who used to work at LinkedIn and he has still access to all their tools. So he could help me pull like lists of all basically people working on Flutter in Stockholm. 
Are you allowed to say this? That sounds a little bit sketchy to say openly like this. <laughs> yeah, I won't put his name out there. <laughs> okay, fine. Go ahead. <laughs> but um, I went through this list of like thousands of profiles and all that were relevant. I basically wrote to and tried to pull them from where they were working if they were any good. So, and then I, through a friend, I found another guy that was like a very strong recommendation. He, he used to be tech lead for Minecraft before, or like lead developer of Minecraft. So he's a super strong developer. Both of them are, obviously. The other guy was a CTO for another startup. And I think if you want to find really good people, you kind of need to pull them in yourself and contact them because the best ones are usually working somewhere else already. So our approach for hiring somewhere remotely is, I guess, a little bit different. Uh, we do get like a lot of applications. It's many hundreds of profiles to go through. So that's uh, a lot of work. Right before we talked a little bit, uh, I wrote a little rant on LinkedIn, I guess, about what it's like being a recruiter. It wasn't really meant to be a rant. It was more like meant as advice to people who seek work remotely. My experience is like out of the people that apply to us, it's like maybe 90, 95% hasn't even, you know, taken the time to see what the job is about. They asked, okay, this is a developer role. I'm a developer. Uh, I hit the apply button and hope for the best. And then they send maybe a resume. Many of the resumes are like 10 pages of text. And then they have like, it's sprinkled with projects and links that they work on. And I click like on the three first and all links are broken. It's like, if you do that, you don't really even care, right? And then they complain that no one is hiring them. So that was like a little bit what I tried to post on LinkedIn for if you are a remote developer, say like in India or Africa, make sure to take five, 10 minutes at least to check what is this company about? What are they looking for? And when you write that message to us, it just need to be a sentence, but make sure we feel like you are a relevant candidate, like highlight the things you worked on before that are relevant to us. And when you send your CV, it's much better that it's just a single page or maybe two pages. And uh, the samples you add in there, make sure that the links work. Uh, if you want to showcase code you have on GitHub, if you send a link to GitHub, make sure that repository, you can immediately see what this is about. It's not just like a empty readme file and then you suppose us to go figure out what that project is about or if it's any good or yeah make sure it also compiles so we can try it out it's surprising like how many of these profiles i go through and not even those basic things are there so i would advise people to make sure that their resume looks really really good keep it to like one two pages if you have worked on projects, add in a few screenshots of those projects and make it like the layout look really nice and appealing. If you have code that you share on GitHub, if you are not a senior, very strong developer, make sure that you have someone review it to make sure it's you know top notch. And 
when you write your messages, make sure that you, if you're not a native English speaker, use Grammarly or something, at least for the first messages, to make it look professional. Maybe don't use five exclamation marks and uh, or just a message that says, hello, do you have a job for me? And nothing more. And then like an empty LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Um, so I guess that was my rant. I'm happy that you called it out because I see it all the time, like especially because I'm in a, quite a few Flutter uh, groups on Facebook. And yeah, the amount of people who are just keep saying like, hey, I need job or some variation of that. Like I do Flutter apps. I need job. I've been learning Flutter for six months. Give me internship. It's like, when do you think that would ever work? I mean, I guess they must be really beginner. Yeah, like you said, it doesn't really make sense, right? Like. You can't just come to somebody and say, give me a job and, or just say job. I think I've seen something like that before. It's like, like you said, at least kind of like show, Hey, I'm a developer doing it for X amount of time. I, I've done these many projects. Like you said, here's portfolio or here's at least one sample of a link that yeah. works. <laughs> yeah, you, you're completely right. That's uh, seems like it would be so easy and it's much better. I think to showcase like one good thing than showcase. 20 crappy things at least for me looking at it it's okay this looks cool he knows what he's doing i can see that from one solid project but it's impossible to see from 10 not so good maybe one of those were like really good i don't know but if the first ones i look at is not good then i'm probably moving on to the next resume yeah so you're still looking for more people like how many more people are you looking for what do you envision so people can have a rough idea if they maybe be able to fit into that bucket all people we're looking at are senior developers. Working on ServerPod is not like you're building an app. It's quite different. If you build an app, you can get away with maybe, you know, the code mustn't be perfect every time or everything mustn't be perfect, right? If you build a framework that lots of thousands of other developers are using, it needs to be really, really high quality. And there are a lot of very tricky stuff to build in there like building the ORM it's so complex so we really need senior developers preferably you know that worked on other frameworks before or really have the ability to dig into that so we're sort of ruling out the people that have one or two years experience in just built apps unless maybe it looks really good and they have a strong computer science background that they studied that could be an option but we're looking for want to join our Stockholm office. So that person we probably want to find in Stockholm or can relocate here. And we're looking maybe for one more who is remote, but really solid. So maybe I scared away a few there. But <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good to lay down what you really want. And I don't want to discourage people, right? If you think that you can try, right? Just try, right? I'm sure you've gotten some, right. you must, I mean, there's four, right? That's not a big bucket to choose from, but I think there must be at least one that maybe you thought was questionable and then maybe they worked out better than you thought, right? Yeah. You have to point out which uh, one is the questionable one. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> you keep it to yourself. Yeah. But at least, you know, there's some people you're probably a little bit surprised on. Yeah, I mean, sometimes uh, you can get surprised in a positive way too, right? Yeah. Even well, that's what when I mean. people not the, don't not have too much way. experience and they can really deliver. And they're definitely those kind of people. But there are also a lot of the other way around, they look like 
they have a lot of experience and then they don't yeah. deliver. So I guess it goes both ways. It's really hard to no assess sense. developers, actually. You know, yeah. I think best is to take references and speak with people they work with before. Usually I'm pretty okay. I think I am pretty okay to kind of figure out a person pretty quickly, just developer-wise. But then there's one guy, I was actually shocked after working with him some time. I'm like, actually, I feel a little bit bad I gave this guy the thumbs up because it, he's doing work that I think is not what I thought he could do, right? He's, his quality is not as high as it originally uh, thought to be. But I have an inclination that he might be farming his work out to somebody else just based on when I talk oh. with him and what he delivers to me. That's my guess, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, maybe that happens. It's not ChatGPT, I I'm, think, because ChatGPT, I think, would be a little bit better. <laughs> no, no need to, sorry to sound so negative, but yeah. <laughs> you think ChatGPT would be better than that? Sometimes. Some well, of the code, I think so. Oh. <laughs> I, I, sorry to dig on the guy. I'm not going to say who it is. It's not really important. <laughs> but just to let you know, like that's my guess, because I've seen some stuff, some signs that were just a little bit too weird. That is. Um, not a good review. I feel like yeah. the code you get from ChatGPT. ChatGPT actually does pretty decent code. It can do pretty decent, I think, for some things. For some things, definitely. I mean, I've had experiences where it's done like amazing work that saved me loads of time. But yeah, I think for the stuff we're building, nine times out of ten, it's like completely lost. I guess if it's stuff it's seen before many times, it can yeah. do a decent job. But for any kind of new stuff, it, I feel like it's lost more often. Than the data not. set is old, right? I think it's a couple of years old or something from what I remember. Uh, probably not too. But even for Copilot, right? I try using Copilot for a little bit and the languages I usually use are quite new and they're always evolving. So like I didn't get a lot of help from Copilot. It was just basically autocomplete for some chunks. So I was like 10 bucks yeah. a month for that. Like, eh. Like, I don't think it's worth it. It was like, it maybe saved me like three seconds. So I was like, okay, maybe at three times, whatever it is. Like, yeah, maybe I would save something, but it, I don't, I just feel like it's not worth it to me for 10 bucks. But um, I don't know if you have a different feeling. I think it probably helps a little bit for some stuff. I looked into this a little bit because maybe I watch YouTube a little bit too much, but there was this guy that keeps popping up in my feed and he talks about AI and he's like so impressed with like all the AI stuff all the time and, you know, totally hypes it up. Uh, and one of the things he said is that like Copilot is for developers, like going from uh, Pong as a computer game to Red Dead Redemption 2 overnight. And that's not my experience. Maybe if you build, you know, super simple demos, of stuff, it looks pretty impressive, right? But if you use it in a production environment or like using it in the real projects, the experience is quite different. So I Googled a little bit and I did find some actual research on it, which was quite interesting. And uh, one study showed that using ChatGPT improved performance with like 5%. And the other one was like 2.4%. So it's not like a huge improvement, at least for now. Uh, and there's another study that tried to use ChatGPT in or Copilot in um, environments that are like checking how secure code it writes. And it made like introduced security flaws in 40% of their examples, which is really, really bad potentially. So you really need to check the code it's writing 
obviously one would think, but the quality is not there yet. Maybe it will be in the future. Who knows? But anyway, I made a little bit of a YouTube rant on this. So I started a YouTube channel, me too, but I only have that one clip. So. <laughs> yeah, I saw a recent study that said something like the benefit was quite negligible. And I've seen it give some weird answers, but sometimes like I was quite shocked. Like sometimes it's really good. Sometimes, yeah, it's really damning, right? But I think it's pretty good for copywriting. Like if you want to brush up your CV, I think it's pretty good at writing. It kind of freaked me out because I'm thinking to myself, like, do I even need to write books anymore? Do books nowadays, are they even written by the author themselves? Are they just punching in the chat GPT and then the, the words flow out and then they copy paste and send it to the editor and then yeah. it's done? Maybe I'm like a poor prompt engineer, but uh, I feel like it's like a really good starting point, but I need to like edit it yeah. and fix it up. Most of the but time, you ask it to fix it up too, because I watch somebody yeah, like yeah. to do it, and they're like, "Can you make it sound like in this tone?" I'm like, "What?" And then it, it does it. It's like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah, it does. But at some point, there's still like a lot of you need to manually fix, and mm -hmm. then it's just faster doing it yourself than sometimes trying to prompt yeah, for it like ten times. Ninety-five percent there, I think, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, you definitely get a um, good part of it. Let me bring us back. Mike has got a great question, and this is kind of related, right? So you're talking about kind of the future. You're looking for more developers. Mike Rydstrom asked another question, which I think is, is definitely good to hear. And it's something that was actually in the back of my mind. There's not many competitors to ServerPod yet, but one in the same area is being worked on. Celeste, I haven't heard of this one. Do you see more coming? And if so, how will you stay ahead with ServerPod? Have you heard of Celeste? I'm thinking you must have, right? Yes, I know them they have a little bit of a different approach i think where it's not open source it's more like cloud functions for dart if you will a big benefit of serverpod is obviously you can own your code and you can run it anywhere so i think that is a, a huge benefit and we're quite far ahead of any other sort of competitor in what we've built when it comes to the ORM. We have a few man hours into ServerPod development now, and there are obviously a few other frameworks out there. You have DartFrog, Celeste. I don't think they have anything real out yet, but I mean, it's definitely an interesting approach. And we want to see more Dart on the back end. I think it's good for us to expand that whole space. Something we're looking into building, obviously, is also an a hosting service for server pods so so we get that part as well where you can deploy it very very easy yeah but it, it's super interesting it seems like there are a lot of people starting to look at dart on the back end and i think that's because flutter is you know continuing to grow it's a very natural extension of how you use dart as a language and it's great for back end as well it's i mean it's a really neat language overall on that note something I want to bring up today too is we'll be hosting an online conference in May called Full Stack Flutter. Most Flutter conferences have a very high focus on Flutter, obviously, but we wanted to sort of highlight the whole ecosystem around Flutter and even Dart on the server. So we're inviting all these other um, developers that are building frameworks for Dart, both on the back end for Flutter, but also, you know, things for testing, continuous integration. There will be a lot of, you know, Flutter stuff in there as well. So it'll be something for everyone. But we are looking for speakers now. So we have a lineup of around 15 really, really good speakers from all of the community now. But we're going to expand this. I don't know exactly how many we are going to end up with, but it will be a 
very, very big event. We just opened the call for speakers that's like a week or two ago, but it will be open till March. But if anyone is watching this and are keen to talk about Flutter or Dart on the backend or the ecosystem in some way, they should definitely go to fullstackflutter.dev. It's also possible to sign up there already. We haven't really looked at signups, but there's also quite a few who have signed up for the event. So we hope to make it the, the biggest Flutter event this year. It's quite different with uh, physical conferences because of the limited you know, amount of attendees you can have that versus we can have potentially tens of thousands. So that's what we're hoping for. That's a big challenge, right? Because there's quite a few that are quite big. FlutterCon or Flutter Vikings, I think those two is quite big, right? into both. Uh, so Flutticon last year had around 600 attendees. We are pretty close to having that number of signups already. So I think we can quite easily get higher numbers. Just be careful, you know, if, if you're making bold claims, you got to fulfill those or else people are going to find out and dream you for them. I'm not making any, any promises, but I feel confident that we can definitely reach a whole lot of people with this. It's easier online. Then and we're making it free also. There's one other called uh, Flutter Summit that is, I think, pr the biggest online now. But that's also quite pricey. It costs like a hundred bucks to attend versus having a free conference by the community for the community. I think can be really cool. How is the process being done for figuring out who would speak? Because if you have 600 people, I can imagine at least maybe a tenth of those would be interested to submit a talk. We have more submissions than that already, but the process is basically we are looking through all the talks that we get and we're focusing on getting this like really high quality. If you look at some other online conferences and conferences in general, there are many speakers that are not that great or the topics are not so good. So what we're doing is we both reviews, obviously, their, the submissions or the abstracts, what I want to talk about. But we also coach them into creating the talk and improving it if they want to. And uh, the concept is we have 20 minute long talks that are pre-recorded and then we follow up with an on live Q&A. And you will also be able to chat like the attendees will be able to chat during the talks. You can ask questions and we can actually ask you know, the speakers afterwards those questions. So it still have like an interactive component. But we can also pre-screen the talks to make sure that it's not anything that's not worth watching, basically. So just a little bit of a disclaimer, if you, you know, submit a talk and get accepted that we will, you know, review it. And if they want to be sure to make it good, plus coach them to do something really good. I think a problem with online conferences, if you have a long talk and as a speaker, it's not that great to just speak into the camera either, right? And you have no idea what like the reactions are. So that part can be pre-recorded anyway, and we can make sure the quality is really good, but still have that, you know, live element where you can chat and get the chance to ask you questions and get a little bit more of a feel for the speaker. And we'll add in more stuff with, you know, giveaways, quizzes. It'll be like an engaging conference, but we're also open to any other ideas for how we can make this more engaging because it's a little bit different feel having a conference online that's also why we keep the talks a little bit shorter i think the attention span you have for online is a little bit shorter than you know watching a talk for 50 minutes on a conference is okay but it may not be as engaging if you watch it online 
So you're looking for people to submit a talk. When's the cutoff date for that? March 15. So there's a little bit more than a month. And then we'll have a little bit of time to review everything and pick the best speakers. And um, from there, they have like a month to actually do the talk. And the conference itself will be in the middle of May. So May, was it like 14th or 15th? So you'll have to check fullstackflutter.dev. And obviously we will record all the talks and release them afterwards. But uh, it'll definitely be a benefit to watch it live and have a chance to ask you questions and be a little bit more involved. Yeah, the only thing I worry about is if the time zone, right? So this is going to be based in European time, right? CEST, I'm guessing. Yeah, we need to figure out the, the best timing for that. It's impossible. <laughs> it's really <laughs> difficult, right? It's always difficult for me. Uh, Europe and US matches quite well. China and Hong Kong is a little bit more tricky. I'm thinking maybe it's better to uh, have more tracks in parallel than having it like a really long time. So maybe the whole conference will be like four hours and you can pick and choose the best talks and we can have even, you know, three or four or five tracks in parallel rather than having it like one after another and just a single track. Then you can always pick an interesting topic. And, you know, if there's something you miss, you can always watch it at a later time. I think I would have a hard time watching an online conference for a whole day. And I think probably many people feel that way. Yeah, I think so. People can only have so much attention span, right? Especially if you're sitting in a chair, there's nothing else kind of keeping you engaged. Because if you're there, right, you have people around you kind of keep you in there and then usually have a small break in between and then you can do some hallway or water cooler talk, right? Something like that. Definitely. Yeah. We talked about quite a few things today, even our rant about, you know, chat GPT uh, yeah. and everything and co-pilot. <laughs> Is there anything that we missed before we, we sign off for this recording? No, I think we're good. And I mean, great to be on your show again. And thanks for having me. It's uh, good to see you again. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on, you know, I don't know when the next time, like definitely reach out whenever. It's good to have you on and uh, it's good to hear what's going on with ServerPod. I think you guys are uh, in a good direction. It's good to hear that, you know, the work you're doing is being seen as valuable, right? Both for the terms of community and also you got funding, right? So in terms of making money, people don't give money to people unless they want money back. So they see there's a way for them to make money. So I'd be interested yeah. to see if that, I'm hoping that works out for everybody, right? I have no problem if people yeah. make money from helping others, but you know. It can't be the only thing. Yeah. That's the thing I worry about. Yeah, so our plan is to build a, a paid hosting service. But obviously, I mean, if you prefer, you can still, it's all open source. You can host it anywhere yeah. you like. But we'll make it very, very easy for anyone to host their server pod in the future. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you.